Please turn to the back of your hymn book, page 898. Page 898. I'm going to read a few articles here. First of all, article 7. 898. After we read these articles, we're going to open God's Word to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Election. Article 7. Election, or choosing, is God's unchangeable purpose by which He did the following. Before the foundation of the world, by sheer grace, according to the free good pleasure of His will, He chose in Christ to salvation a definite number of particular people out of the entire human race, which had fallen by its own fault from its original innocence into sin and ruin. Those chosen were neither better nor more deserving than the others, but lay with them in the common misery. He did this in Christ, whom he also appointed from eternity to be the mediator, the head of all those chosen and the foundation of their salvation. And so he decided to give the chosen ones to Christ to be saved and to call and draw them effectively into Christ's fellowship through his word and spirit. In other words, he decided to grant them true faith in Christ, to justify them, to sanctify them, and finally, after powerfully preserving them in the fellowship of his Son, to glorify them. God did all this in order to demonstrate his mercy to the praise of the riches of his glorious grace. As scripture says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless before him with love. He predestined us whom he adopted as his children through Jesus Christ in himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace by which he freely made us pleasing to himself in his beloved. And elsewhere, those whom he predestined, he also called, Those who be called, he also justified, and those who be justified, he also glorified. And then go to Article 9. Election not based on foreseen faith. This same election took place not on the basis of foreseen faith, of the obedience of faith, of holiness, or of any other good quality and disposition, as though it were based on a prerequisite cause or condition in the person to be chosen, but rather for the purpose of faith, of the obedience of faith, of holiness, and so on. Accordingly, election is the source of each of the benefits of salvation, faith, holiness, and the other saving gifts, and at last eternal life itself flow forth from election as its fruits and effects. As the apostle says, he chose us, not because we were, but so that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Article 10. But the cause of this undeserved election is exclusively the good pleasure of God. This does not involve his choosing certain human qualities or actions from among all those possible as a condition of salvation, but rather involves his adopting certain particular persons from among the common mass of sinners as his own possession. As Scripture says, when the children were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, 
She, Rebecca, was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Also, all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And then Article 12. Assurance of this, their eternal and unchangeable election to salvation, is given to the chosen in due time, though by various stages at a differing measure. Such assurance comes not by inquisitive searching into the hidden and deep things of God, but by noticing within themselves, with spiritual joy and holy delight, the unmistakable fruits of election pointed out in God's word, such as a true faith in Christ, a childlike fear of God, a godly sorrow for their sins, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so on. I invite you to please take your Bibles now and turn to 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Please keep it open there as we consider our subject for this afternoon, your election by God. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You became followers of us or imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So far the reading of God's holy word. What comes to mind when you hear the word election? For most people, the word election reminds them of politics. We're familiar with federal elections, provincial elections, municipal elections, and so on. But the Bible speaks of an election which is of far greater importance than any federal, provincial, or municipal election. The Bible speaks of an election that has eternal 
consequences, one of everlasting significance. When prime ministers, premiers, and mayors all pass away, when the parliament buildings in Ottawa are dissolved at the coming of Jesus, when ballot boxes will no longer be in use, the results of a far greater election will remain, namely, our election by God. It includes people of every race, of every nation, men and women, those of every class. It is this election by God that we want to consider this afternoon. As you approach your last breath, federal, provincial, and municipal elections will probably matter very little to you. But it will matter a great deal whether you are included among the number of God's elect. As we focus our attention on this subject, I would like us to ponder three things. What does it mean? What is the fruit? What does it matter? What does it mean? In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4, the Apostle Paul said, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Another translation says, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. The history of the church shows that the doctrine of election is an extremely controversial subject. Bible teacher and writer of the late 18, early 1900s, A.W. Pink, once began a sermon by saying, I'm going to speak tonight on one of the most hated doctrines of the Bible, namely that of God's sovereign election. Mr. Pink went on to say that while the doctrine of eternal punishment is one of the most objectionable doctrines to those outside the church, the doctrine of God's sovereign election is the truth most loathed and reviled by the majority of those who claim to be Christians. It was his experience that many people who claimed to be believers had no use for the doctrine of God's sovereign election. But 130 years ago, J.C. Ryle of Liverpool made a similar observation. He said this, No part of the Christian religion has been so much disputed, rejected, and reviled as this. Thousands of so-called Christians profess to believe the atonement, salvation by grace, and justification by faith, and yet refuse to look at the doctrine of election. The very mention of the word to some persons is enough to call forth expressions of anger, ill-temper, and passion. Well, congregation, perhaps today there is not the same level of hatred for this doctrine as there was in Mr. Pink's day or Mr. Ryle's day. Thankfully, here in North America, the tide has turned somewhat, and there is a renewed interest in the biblical doctrines of grace. Yet there remain those who have very little knowledge of these things. I know a pastor who was called to a declining Presbyterian church. Shortly after his arrival at the church, he began preaching on the sovereignty of God in the work of salvation. Members of his church were amazed at hearing things that apparently they had never been taught before. He had to slow down and lead them incrementally through the doctrines of grace because they were completely new to most of them, even though officially they still subscribe to the Westminster Standards. 
You see, there are some churches who have set the doctrine of election aside because they consider it divisive. Others ignore it because, in their opinion, it is not that significant and not very practical. Still, others have ignored it because it goes far beyond their comprehension. If we can't understand it, then why bother to study it? And then there are yet others who dismiss this doctrine because it offends their sense of fairness. If God chooses to save some but not others, that's not fair. Unfortunately, the doctrine of election has not always been cherished by professing Christians. But congregation, as you read the New Testament epistles, you find that the Apostle Paul made no apology for this doctrine. On the contrary, he spoke of it freely and affectionately. He did not consider it divisive or dismiss it as impractical, confusing, or unfair. He accepted it, expounded it, and rejoiced in it as an important part of the gospel. He incorporated it into his teaching so that believers may see the wonder of that grace by which we are saved and that we may be moved to a a proper response of worship and praise. Well then, what does the Bible teach about election? What is it? What is it? The verb elect or choose expresses the idea of picking out or selecting something or someone from a number of available alternatives. In both the Old and the New Testament, we read of God choosing out people for himself for specific purposes and to enjoy certain privileges. The the Bible speaks of election in more than one way, doesn't it? In the Old Testament, God chose Israel as a nation to be his special people. There was what we may call a national election. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord your God has chosen you. Israel as a nation was selected by God for a specific purpose, and they received special privileges as God's elect people. Secondly, not only does the Old Testament speak of, a, of national election, but it also speaks of the election of certain individuals to particular areas of service. The election of certain individuals to particular areas of service. Deuteronomy 18.5 says of the priests, For the Lord your God has chosen you out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord. The priests were chosen to minister. Psalm 106 calls Moses his chosen one. Psalm 105 calls Aaron one whom he had chosen. 2 Samuel 6 calls David the chosen of the Lord. All these people were chosen to particular areas of service. But then thirdly, the New Testament also speaks of the election of individuals to salvation and eternal glory. The election of individuals to salvation and eternal glory. National election 
and election of individuals to special service did not guarantee the final salvation of those elected. Israel as a nation was God's elect people. Yet, what do we read in 1 Corinthians 10? We read that many of them died under judgment. There are also individuals who were elected for special service who died, as far as we know, under judgment. Men like King Saul and Judas, the chosen apostle. So national election and election of individuals to special service did not guarantee the final salvation of those elected. Many perished in unbelief. The election Paul speaks of in the New Testament, however, is an election of individuals to eternal life. It is God's selecting of certain people with a view to bringing them to salvation in Jesus Christ. It is an elected election of individuals that does guarantee the final salvation of those elected. The Apostle Paul says that this election was made in Christ before the foundation of the world, an election from eternity. Listen to the words of Ephesians 1. They're great words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. But then, congregation, the question which really brings us to the heart of the matter is this. How does God choose? Or what is the basis for God's choice? This is where churches and Christians run into differences. You see, everyone who claims to believe the Bible must acknowledge the teaching of election and predestination. These are not words that have been invented by theologians. They're found in the Bible itself. When you read the New Testament, you cannot escape the words election and predestination. To deny election and predestination is to deny terms that God himself has chosen to use. But the question that separates Reformed and non-Reformed is this. How does God choose? On what does he base his decision to elect some and not others? The non-reformed answer is that before we were born, God knew everything about us. He knew whether we would or would not believe, whether we would or would not choose him. On the basis of that prior knowledge of us, he made his decision regarding election. God chose for eternal life those whom he knew would choose him. One author summarized the non-reformed view of election like this. God looks down the tunnel of time from all eternity, observing human responses, and so he knows what choices will be made when people are invited to respond to the gospel of Christ. On the basis of that foreknowledge, and on the basis of these foreseen choices of human beings, God then elects people to be saved. So our salvation, our election, is conditional upon foreseen choices that we make. Okay, so that in summary is the non-reformed view. God looked down through history and saw whether people would or would not believe, and on that basis he chose some and didn't choose others. 
He elected them because he knew they would respond positively to the gospel. The Reformed view rejects this notion entirely. It teaches that if God's election rested upon our response to the gospel, if election was conditional upon whether we would or would not exercise faith, no one would be saved. The Bible teaches that fallen people are what? Dead in trespasses and sins, alienated from God, and under the control of the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself. Because fallen sinners are in this deplorable condition, we can never make a positive response to the gospel. We can never exercise faith, and we can never believe. Left to ourselves, fallen sinners would never choose God. We have no desire for God. Therefore, if election depended upon man's response to the gospel, we would all be in a hopeless situation. No, congregation. Canons of Dort, Article 9, correctly says that election is not based upon foreseen faith. The foreseen decisions or responses of people to the gospel, election is of grace and of grace alone. Faith is not a condition of election. Isn't this precisely what Paul emphasized in Romans 9 in his discussion of Esau and Jacob? Paul said in Romans 9, verses 11 and 12, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. God's choice had nothing to do with the nature of Jacob and Esau whatsoever. Before they were born, before they had done any good or evil, God chose Jacob as the special recipient of his love. Was it because Jacob was better? No. Was it because Jacob was more faithful? No. Was it because Jacob chose God? No. Article 10 says, the cause of this undeserved election is exclusively the good pleasure of God. The choice was with God and with God alone. I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion, so then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy, Romans 9.15. Why does God choose one over another? Why does he determine to save one in Christ Jesus rather than another? These are questions we cannot answer. It is useless to engage in theological speculation. We must simply accept the fact that God, in his mercy, before the very foundation of the world, chose a people in Christ for himself. The choice is made without any respect to their works. It is by his mercy, grace, and good pleasure alone. When you really ponder this, brothers and sisters, you begin to realize how great is the grace of God. And you sing with all your heart amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch 
like me. If you're a believer here this afternoon, the Bible tells you that God looked upon you in love before you ever thought about loving, choosing, or receiving Him. God determined to save you before you ever saw your need of salvation. You see, election, dear friends, is not a cold, harsh doctrine as some claim. It is a doctrine of grace, mercy, and love. Oh, love of God, how strong and true, eternal and yet ever new, uncomprehended and unbought beyond all knowledge and all thoughts. We come then to point number two. What is the fruit of election? We've considered the meaning. Now, what is the fruit? A practical question that is frequently put forward is this. How do I know that my name is listed among the elect of God? How do I know that God chose me and that I am safe in the arms of sovereign love? After all, I cannot see into the hidden counsel of God or read the book of life. I cannot see the names of the redeemed or read the mind of God. Then how do I know that I am among those chosen to everlasting life in Christ Jesus? The answer, brothers and sisters, is really not that difficult. The Canons of Dort, Article 12, rightly says that assurance of election comes not by inquisitive searching into the hidden and deep things of God, but by noticing within themselves with spiritual joy and holy delight the unmistakable fruits of election. That the elect of God are known by the fruits is seen in our scripture reading. Look with me, please, once again to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. Please have a look. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. Paul said, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. How did Paul know? In 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul said again, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. How did he know? How did he know? Did God give him a glimpse into the book of life? Did he reveal to him in a vision that they were chosen? Not at all. Paul made these statements based on the fruits that he saw in their life. How do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? By the fruit. An apple tree produces apples. How do you know a pear tree is a pear tree? By the fruit. A pear tree produces pears. Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. When I teach these truths to our young people, I sometimes use this illustration. The illustration predates self-driving cars, okay? If you're standing on the road and you see a car coming in the distance, how do you know the car has a driver? Because the car is traveling on the proper side of the road without swerving to the right hand or to the left. The car is not straddling the center line, nor is the car driving with two wheels in the ditch. It is steadily moving toward you without veering one way or the other. You know by the steady forward movement of the car that there is someone in the driver's seat guiding it onward. Even though you can't see the driver, you know he is there. 
Well, in a similar way, we can discern the elect of God. You cannot see the names in the book of life, but the results of God's election cannot be hidden. Look with me again to 1 Thessalonians 1, where Paul mentions some of the obvious fruits of election. Maybe you noticed that as we were reading it a few moments ago. Go with me to verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Now, why did Paul believe the Thessalonians were elect? Because he saw their faith, love, and hope. He saw their labors for Christ, their love for Christ, and their hope in anticipating the second coming of Christ. It was on the basis of these things that Paul was able to say, I know your election by God. Then look to verse 5. Verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Why did Paul believe the Thessalonians were elect? Because the gospel came to them with power and conviction. They did not reject it, nor were they indifferent to it. They did not politely hear Paul's preaching and then yawn with lack of enthusiasm. Neither did they say, well, that's good for you, Paul. That's, that's nice. That's really nice. But it doesn't do anything for us. It might be true for you, but it's not true for us. No. The Thessalonians were gripped and convicted By the word, their hearts were moved and their consciences were pricked by the word. They saw their sin. They understood their lost condition. They saw how far they had fallen short of God's perfect holy law. And they saw their need of salvation. When Paul preached in Thessalonica and declared that Jesus was the Messiah, these people believed repented of their sin, and embraced Jesus Christ. It was because of this that Paul was able to say, I know your election by God. Congregation, you can only know your election by looking to Christ crucified and believing his word. Have you trusted him? Have you called out to him as your savior? Have you understood your need of his sacrifice for sin? You cannot be certain of your election unless you look to him. You're not saved by believing you are elect. You're not saved by believing you're elect. Rather, you realize that you are elect because you have faith in Christ. Faith in his finished work is the ultimate test of whether you are chosen from before the foundation of the world. I believe this point needs to be clearly understood because the doctrine of of election has sometimes been abused. There are those who say, if I'm elect, I'll be saved. If I'm not, I will not be saved. If I'm not elect, I won't be saved. There's nothing that I can do. So I'll just sit back and wait till God does something. That is a wrong understanding of election. 
The Bible doesn't say sit back and wait. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to me that you may have life. Come to me so that all your sins will be pardoned. You can know your election by receiving the promises of the gospel. The Thessalonians received the message of the cross. Therefore, Paul could say, I know that he has chosen you. Then, in addition to this, Paul mentions further evidence of their election in verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. Look at verse 6. And you became followers or imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. You see, the gospel changed their lives. They imitated Paul. They were willing to suffer. They were filled with joy, and they set a godly example for others. Verse 8 also adds what? their evangelistic zeal. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. End of verse 8, your faith toward God has gone out. Their faith was proclaimed far and wide. They were not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed to testify of their faith in Jesus. Furthermore, verse 9 tells us that they repented of their idolatry. They turned from idols to serve the living and true God. They rejected the false gods of their culture. And then verse 10 says that they anticipated, they anticipated the coming of Jesus Christ from heaven, and they were not afraid of his return because they knew that Jesus would deliver them from the wrath to come, the end of verse 10. So let me ask again, why did Paul believe the Thessalonians were elect, chosen by God? Because he saw their faith, hope, and love, their proper response to the gospel, and their willingness to suffer for Christ. Because he saw the joy of the Holy Spirit, their godly example, their missionary zeal, their rejection of false religions, and their desire for Christ's return. Congregation, if you want to know your election, you don't have to see into the book of life or have an extra-biblical, mystical revelation from God. Using the words of the canons, Article 12, you don't have to inquisitively pry into the hidden and deep things of God. If you want to be assured of your election, you have to consider the good fruits of the Spirit. Have I repented before the cross? Do I have a childlike fear of God? Do I have a godly sorrow for sin? Do I hunger and thirst after righteousness? Article 12 of the Canons recognizes that the assurance of election may be attained in various degrees, various stages, and in different measures. In various degrees, various stages, and in different measures. Because the elect are not without sin, weakness, and impurity, we sometimes struggle with a, with a measure of doubt. We hope to look at that a little more in coming weeks. 
But we need to remember that perfect obedience is not mentioned as a fruit of election. The evidence is not the absence of sin, but our attitude and response to sin. The elect will grieve over their sins, flee from them, and make it their aim to honor God by their obedience. If God has chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world, such fruits will become evident in your life. The results of God's election cannot be hidden. Well, then finally, having considered the meaning of election and the fruits of election, we want to conclude with the question, what does it matter? What does it matter? It's important that we understand this biblical truth for several reasons. First, when rightly understood, this doctrine will drive us to worship and praise. When Paul explained this doctrine to the Christians in Rome, he burst out into a doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it shall be repaid him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Paul was overflowing with praise and adoration as he contemplated God's electing love. It caused him to see the power and sovereignty of God. He knew that all the glory for our salvation belongs to him. And that is what the doctrine of election should do for you. For each and every one of you. I can't think of any doctrine that is more God-exalting than the doctrine of election. It should fill you with humble worship and praise. Second, when rightly understood, this doctrine will crush our pride. It will drive us to worship and it will crush our pride. The doctrine of election reminds us that we have nothing, nothing to do with our salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. It has nothing to do with human merit. We are saved by grace alone. You are not saved because you said yes to Jesus. You are saved because he said yes to you. Your salvation is not because you chose Jesus, it's because he chose you. Spurgeon said, I know nothing, nothing again that is more humbling than this doctrine of election. I have sometimes fallen prostrate before it when endeavoring to understand it. But when I came near it, And the one thought possessed me, God has from the beginning chosen you unto salvation. I was staggered with the mighty thought, and from the dizzy elevation down came my soul, prostrate and broken, saying, Lord, I am nothing, I am less than nothing, why me, why me? Have you ever said that? 
Lord, I am nothing. I am less than nothing. Why me? Why me? You see, the doctrine of election is extremely humbling. I shared with you briefly at our welcome evening that in my own experience, when the Lord began to turn my life around, it was this doctrine above all others that caused me to weep. I wept because I was nothing and had done nothing to merit God's love. Yet by his own sovereign grace, he had chosen me. And I said, as Mr. Spurgeon did, why me? Why me? The doctrine of election crushes our pride. Third, when rightly understood, this doctrine also promotes holiness. It drives us to worship, it crushes our pride, and it promotes holiness. Knowing the electing love of God, believers should be filled with such gratitude that they are compelled to a life of purity. Some people think that this doctrine will make people complacent. There is nothing further from the truth. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. See, the doctrine of election should compel us to obedience. Again, Spurgeon said, Shall I sin after God has chosen me? Shall I transgress after such love? Shall I go astray after so much loving kindness and tender mercy? No, my God, since you have chosen me, I will love you. I will live to you. I will give myself to you to be yours forever, solemnly consecrating myself to your service. You see, the doctrine of election produces holiness. Fourth, when rightly understood, this doctrine is also a powerful incentive to evangelism and missions. It's a powerful incentive for evangelism and missions. When we go forth with the gospel message, we know that the results are not due to our powers of persuasion. Rather, the results are due to God's sovereign grace. God will gather in His elect through the presentation of the Word. As we spread God's truth, we may be certain that His Word will not return to Him void. He calls in His elect by the presentation of the gospel. When Paul was proclaiming the Word in Corinth, the Lord spoke to him in the night by a vision. You remember that occasion? And he said, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. Now hear this. For I have many people in this city. For I have many people in this city. The message of election did not dampen Paul's missionary zeal. He said to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
The apostle labored tirelessly from city to city, from town to town, knowing that as he preached, God would do the saving. I have many people in this city. Then a fifth application of the doctrine of election is this. Not only does it drive us to worship, crush our pride, promote holiness, and encourage evangelism and missions, but this doctrine, when rightly understood, also fills us with peace. It also fills us with peace. The apostle wrote these beautiful words in Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do you know? How do you know that you're going to make it through all the battles, tempests, and temptations of life? How do you know that the waves are not going to engulf you? How do you know that you will not stumble and fall into hell forever? Because Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Brothers and sisters, if God has laid hold on you before time began and fixed his eternal gaze on you, If he has saved you through his son, Jesus Christ, then he will never, 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 never let you go. Your future is grounded on the solid rock of his eternal decision. Because of Christ, you are secure in his mighty hands. He will keep you, preserve you and bring you into his presence with great joy. Safe in the arms of sovereign love, we ever shall remain. The Canons of Dort, Article 6, says, This doctrine provides holy and godly souls with comfort beyond words. This doctrine provides holy and godly souls with comfort beyond words words. So I conclude with the words of the Apostle Peter, therefore, brothers, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Be diligent to confirm your calling and election, and you will never fall. Believe in Christ crucified. He will preserve you. He will keep you until the day of his coming. If you reject him, there is no hope for you. No hope whatsoever. Are you listening? So be diligent 
to confirm your calling and election. Let us pray. Lord, what a tremendous privilege it is to know these precious truths. We pray, Lord, that each and every one here will stand in awe of who you are and what you've done in eternity past to save lost sinners. May it crush our pride May it humble us. May it drive us to the pursuit of holiness, expressing gratitude for such great love. Lord, may it be an incentive for us to make the message of salvation known, knowing that the result will not be due to our powers of persuasion, but that the result is due to the work of our sovereign God. Lord, if there are people here today who are struggling, who are in doubt, Lord, we pray that they would turn to your word, look to your promises, and that you will fill them with that unspeakable comfort spoken of in the Scriptures. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would as your people and as a church here in this place would display very clearly, unmistakably, the fruit of election. That we may display it not only to uh, one another but to the world in which we live, to the people that we are in contact with every day. That these things that Paul spoke of concerning the Thessalonian believers, that these things would be very evident in our lives. That, Lord, we may know that he who has begun a good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So may we know that your sheep will never perish and neither can anyone pluck them out of your hand. Receive our praises as we conclude this service. May we go our way humbled under your hand, yet joyful in what you have done in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.